Pridmore's over there dancing. Hey, everybody, welcome to Greg Sharp's Pod. Coach Chase Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. If you need some legal advice, you go check out our boy Alex Asante. He's a motorcycle rider, ex racer. He knows what he's talking about. You got a contract, you got some legal issues, you need to talk to somebody. Get up with Alex Asante. He'll handle your business for you. I'm Greg. Joining me is Jason Pridmore. JP, how is life in what is going to be the most unorganized podcast? Of our 172 podcasts. Oh, is that how many we've done? We've done 172 podcasts for real? No. That's how many I've done, not how many uh, you've done. Ah, yes. I missed a couple. I only missed a couple, G-Dub. And they were from But you good... listened to them from a hospital bed in Australia, I they were imagine. from. They were due to injury. Yes, this is true. So, you know, I could... Hey, theoretically, That's... I could skip this one the way I'm feeling, so... Well, we don't want you to skip this one. There's not a ton of stuff to talk about, but no. as usual, Jason, there is a ton of t- stuff to talk about. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Should I just do like, hey, everybody? Uh, <laughs> yeah, do hey, everybody. That's great. Hey, everybody. We're going to talk about some news presented by Arrive. Go down to your local dealership. Check out AriveAmericas.com on the website. Look at paint jobs. Get down to your dealership for fitment. Go get yourself an Arai helmet. Why? I don't know. Great ventilation system. You get the same protection no matter what level helmet you get. There's some unbelievably new, awesome new stuff coming out. You got the visor with the thing. AraiAmericas.com. All right. Now, I will say this, though. Unfortunately for Jeff Wheel, he is on his way. Who's our Arai guy? He's on his way to Indianapolis. And he was like, when are you guys uploading the podcast? I go, Jeff, we haven't even recorded it yet. Oh, so, he wants to listen to it. It's a short one anyway, so it's like, well, I say it it's a all, short one. There's there's definitely things to talk about, but they, you know, it's there wasn't really much going on last weekend, really. No, I mean, we could start off with some race results if you want, but we definitely have MotoGP stuff to talk about. We have, yeah. you know, a news article, you know, about what happened, MotoGP article. Uh, but in the news, really, um, a couple of Americans were over racing the Aprilia RS660 Cup at Vallelunga over the weekend, and Maxwell Toth finished Five thousandths of a second behind race winner Francesco Mangiardo. Oh. Mangiardo from Italy. Amazing. On the RS you did so well there. Thank you. Also over there racing was Teague Hobbs, who finished seventh, Ben Glotti eighth, and Caleb DeCarroll, our number one plate in Twins Cup in 10th spot. So hope those guys had a good, fun time racing motorcycles. Anything I've been to Valor. I went to Valorunga once. Really doing what? I was testing when I would when I did World Superbike. It's just outside of Rome. Mm. Yeah, how's the track? It, What's it like? The track is interesting. It's it was good. Uh, I felt like it was a pretty decent test track, honestly. Um, you know, my time over there sucked, and that like you want to know what I remember about it? Since we don't really have a big podcast, I'll tell you what I remember about it. I remember Pizza. being in Rome. I remember being in oh. Rome. Walking past the Coliseum with both of my bags because the team was supposed to send somebody to come and get me. They couldn't find me. So I was literally walking past the the, the, the Coliseum in Rome, you know, very world, world renowned, famous. And I've got a clothes bag and I got my gear bag and I'm walking down the street and I found a payphone because back then in 08, cell service and stuff wasn't what it is now. And so I found a payphone. I got a hold of somebody, told them where I was at. I was in some like little cafe or something. And then they found me. And what was funny is the team hadn't paid me. They owed me however much money they owed me. They hadn't paid me. So, Greg, I, I, we drive to Vallelunga. The two guys that were with me was my, I think it was my crew chief and a mechanic who were great guys, by the way. And 
we get there. The day, it was, this is the day before, obviously. And I had spent that week trying to get my money, which they had never, they wouldn't, they wouldn't pay me. So we get to the hotel that night, go to dinner. The next morning, we're getting ready to go out for the first test session because over there, everything's very official, right? Like certain times, certain this, that. So get ready to go out for our first test. Our, and we had our pit box all set up. My chair is over there in the corner. And about five minutes before the, the, the test started, I came walking into my street clothes. And the team owner's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, I'm not riding. <laughs> and so I missed the first session. Then they pulled me into the truck and they're going to pay me and this and that. And um, then they finally like literally sat me down their computer, my computer next to each other. And I watched the money transfer into my account. So I made it to the second session that afternoon. And that was, <laughs> it was such a joke. It was, it was, it was awful. So just an absolute shit team. And that's why when you see some of these guys rolling around in 15th, 20th place, um, I mean, right now it's a lot more competitive over Well, back then it was ultra competitive. I had Biagi and Courser, um, Bayless, you know, couple fast guys in there right couple um, fast guys yeah and they all felt my pain which was amazing like troy bayless was such a good dude he was so cool and um anyhow it was that it was my is. and val yeah great i mean all those guys were great to me every all the riders over there that i got to deal with i had a lot of the australian guys like mugridge uh, brock parks that's where andrew pitt and i became buddies really that year that he was doing they, those guys were all doing world super sport um and my motorhome was always parked near theirs, so they were all they were all great guys, great guys. That's awesome, man. Yeah, but Valenunga was an interesting place. Uh, GP One's reporting something about uh, contracts with Top Rack. I don't know if you saw that or not, but basically what they're saying is that Lynn Jarvis, who obviously runs the MotoGP team for Yamaha, he said that uh, they're you know they're going to test, they're still testing Top Rack at some point this season. I don't know if there's a date or not. But what Lynn Jarvis said was that they could offer him a factory contract in a satellite team only. Yeah, I did. I did. It's pretty weird how you do this, Greg. Because I had pulled the exact same thing up on MotoGP's website. Jarvis, you know, right there it says make MotoGP move sooner rather than later. Like in other words, like get it done, right? What's yeah, the, what I mean, pit, the pitfall though, Greg? Is 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 the Red Bull thing, isn't it? I wonder. I mean, yeah, he gets paid is, so is. much money from Red Bull. That that has always kind of been the case. Remember when he was riding for Cal- when he was riding the privateer Kawasaki's in World yes. Superbike, and he and then Kawai ended up giving him a a full spec Superbike, but he couldn't do it under the factory team because of Monster. So yeah. all all of all of like Top Rack, well, all of Kennan's boys are all red. They're all they're all Red Bull guys. Yo, that wasn't that the reason that Garrett got the ride last year to fill in for Rossi. Was because Top Rack couldn't do it because of that that situation. Yes, the Red Bull yes. situation. I think it's uh, very anyway. like super interesting. All right, so let's move on from from that particular situation and let's talk about. Um, well, I mean, we can talk about Supercross and what happened, and talk about the winner of the Arai helmet, or we can talk more MotoGP stuff. Let's get MotoGP out of the way because this weekend we're going to be at Le Mans, uh, another track that I'm pretty familiar with and i've been seeing some posts g-dub that the weather's going to be very uncharacteristic of lamar 
they're calling for no rain and i don't believe that what? for a second no 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 yeah, like it never that like will never ever happen it's always going to rain at lamar no matter what so we'll see how that goes as far as uh the oh, weather okay. i'm very yeah i just checked are you the looking latest, now and yeah and and phew, sunday they're calling for thunderstorms chance oh they are so it's so changed yeah it's, it's changed just a yeah what a bit. shock I think as yeah, far no as far as Lamar goes, all you got to do is just go. It's going to rain at some point during the weekend. Why wouldn't it rain on Sunday when they haven't had any real testing time? And but look at the and weather, rain, Greg. It's course. eighty and eighty-one degrees there on Saturday, Sunday. And as we head into this, uh, as we head into this next weekend of of racing, there's I still think there's a ton of storylines. And if if the weather gets thrown in there, man, it's going to be it's going to be even more interesting. How is the Gription at Lamar last time you were there in the rain? The Gription? Yeah. The Gription. Um, the Gription, yeah, it's technical. So it's a, it's gription, a mix between yeah. traction and grip. It's very, it's very good, Greg. Very good. Thank you. Um, no, they, well, last time I was there, they had repaved it. It was 14, but they've done it again. And the lap times are so fast because I, I watched a little bit of um, the Lamar 24 hour this year and I couldn't believe the lap times. But a couple of my friends that are racing over there that I've spoke to, they're like, Jay, the track is so good. It's so smooth. It's like a billiard table. So I got to think that the grip is going to be okay. Um, I can't remember this year if it rained during the Lamar 24 hour. I just can't. I can't remember. What, uh, what, what is the, what's the difficult part about Lamar? Like why, what we do is we see people that are streaky. Like we know that like Lorenzo's won there six times. Freddie Spencer, I think has won there three or four times. Like Tom Luthi has won there four times, you know, two on a, like a Moto2 bike and a 125, I think. There seems to be like people that race, you know, that win there. Go well there. What is it about Lamar that creates that type of situation? Well, I could definitely see this track suiting the Yamaha. Like, so when you talk about Lorenzo, kind of the way he used to flow around a track once he gets the lead. After the front straightaway, there's no big long straightaways. So if he can get, you know, kind of through that turn one area, um, the tricky part about Lamas seems to be able to get heat in the tires at that place. Used to see a lot of accidents on the outlaps of the Lamas race as well. Mind you, it's run in April, so it's a lot cooler. But even if you remember, G-Dub, some of the biggest accidents you see during the course of the year are here at Lamas. That first turn is, well, on a MotoGP bike, I got to think that they go down there in sixth and they probably backshift once for turn one, but keep it kind of wide open. It's almost like... It's almost like a turn two at Brainerd, you know, where you're is it kind the of le- like the left hander up. No, at the right. It's one? a fast right. It's a fast right. Oh, fast right. Yeah, that's right. And then you go then into you back that left hander right. Yeah. Backshift back to second gear for the left right. That's where Jack Miller had that huge crash. If you remember a few years ago on the on the LCR Honda. Um, lately, they've been showing Mir going into turn two there, where he lost the front last year and sliding along like he's sliding into home plate. And he literally jumped up and ran through the sand without even missing a beat. Um, so it's it's a bit of a tricky track in the regard of, I think, you know, getting some temperature in the tires. Um, but it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be warm there. I mean, 80 and 81 degrees on Saturday, Sunday, that's, those are nice days. But I think that for, you know, when you look at it, like for somebody like Quattararo, He's coming into this thing, leading the championship by seven points over Aleish, uh Spargo. It's a great race for for Quattararo. And, I, and you got to think that Zarco, two French guys, um, they're going to be up there in this. I think, was it Jack Miller that won here last year? I can't remember. I know Ducati Ooh. won here last year. 
I think it that, was Jack. That would be that would be a heck of a pull, actually, if you remember that. I'll check. I can't, while you're I, I'm I'm a little I'm probably wrong, but I thought I thought I remember him winning. Um, but I think that the Ducatis now have found. Look at you! Look at you! Did I get it right? Yeah, he, okay. he beat Bagnaya by one point nine seconds, and I think wasn't this around the time? I can't remember the schedule last year, but was it around the time when we started seeing Pecco start sniffing around the front? Because you're talking about Miller with the win, 1.9 seconds behind was Pecco, and then Franco Morbidelli. I think this was before he got hurt, right? Because it was... Mm, wait a second. Nope. Don't, no, I'm lying to you. Okay. Hold on. That was that was Spain last year. I don't know why it, it mixed. Yeah. So Miller won. He won two in a row last year. So he won... That was May 16th, so right around the same time. He wins by 3.9 over Zarco, and then Fabio won, uh, was third by f- like 14 and a half seconds back. Then Pecco. Petrucci was fifth. So, you know, who's obviously in Moto America now. He'll be thinking about this one. And then Alex Marquez, Taka Nakagami. Was, so was it, it was after Jerez last year that Quattararo had his arm pump surgery, right? Because remember, he was leading at Jerez, and Miller ended up winning that race. I don't know if they were back-to-back weekends. I think that he ended up going and getting his surgery. Then he went to Lamar, finished third. It was but, two weeks. I think it was two weeks in between. Okay, so, just kind of like so now. Hereth Her- was May 2nd, and then France was, yeah, May 16th. So it was two weeks. Got it. A couple weeks in between. So, you know, I think when you look at it, Ducati's probably got a pretty solid pretty solid package for for Lamar, even though it's a new bike and all that, but... You got to expect guys like Martin and Bastianini are going to be up there. This could be one of the first races where maybe we start seeing more Ducatis. It's been kind of shocking, Greg, hasn't it? That you know you got eight Ducatis up in the front, and generally each weekend there's just about two of them, and it's been mix and match of who those two are going to be that kind of run up front. We haven't really seen like Ducati dominance up at the front. Like we've not seen a race yet where we've had like Bagnaia, Miller, Bastianini, Martin, all kind of Zarco, all kind of up there in the front at the same time. But this could be a weekend I think you could see something like that. That thought kind of lingered around my head at the beginning of the season. Like, hey, are mm-hmm. we going to see a, like five Ducatis up front right. racing with one other bike or something? Or is it going to, you know, but yeah, we haven't seen that. And, and like I said, I don't really know. I'm not in that paddock, but I would just have to think knowing racing like I've been around and knowing the way GP works. I think that when you have so many bikes that are similar, it's very difficult to tailor all eight bikes or seven bikes or whatever the current factory bike is to all these riders that they share all this information. I think there's more of a general setup that works for whoever's going to be fastest on Friday morning. You right. know, like, like, right. like I would like to go back and see who ends up successful at the end of the weekend in terms of lap times or in terms of race results versus who is the fastest on Friday. I wonder if there's a correlation there and some information yeah. to kind of gather. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, I think Yamaha is better now than they were last year for sure. And I think if I think qualifying is going to be important. I mean, when they start, Jay, how long's the drag to turn one? Is it's, it? It's pretty it, good. Is it? It's a guaranteed Ducati's going to lead into one basically. It's a it's a long straight before they get to the first turn. And yeah, like so you Yamaha, say, that's Yamaha's that's a great point. Up. It's a great point you're making too. That's why qualifying is going to be so important and. Um, but it is a track that it is a track I feel that Quattro can go forward on even it's got one straightaway essentially G dub. So it's um it'll be interesting to see, like you say, the the drag to turn one there and turn one is very fast. 
And then turn two and three are the two turns where kind of all the action happens. There's always seems like there's one or two guys that end up tipping off there and either bringing somebody with them or whatever. So, um, you know, just looking so far at the season, I think that the big things that really stand out to me are Aleish and Anea Bastianini being second and third in the championship. Um, Jorge Martin being 13th in the championship is a, is a shock to me. Um, so I think that when you look at it, I think that this is a weekend where Martin's really got to step up because we've heard about him taking the place already of Miller at factory team, whether that's true or not, don't know. Bastianini is another guy that's doing well. Bagnaia's got a win under his belt now. So he's got to continue to close this gap down to, to Quattuaro. So again, MotoGP will not disappoint. There'll be a ton of storylines. But what about Moto2? Talk about Moto, it because yeah, Moto Two is exciting championship. Correct. Well, I I was texting a couple of people this morning about that because um, right now that championship to me still seems like it's wide open. Even though we've had, you know, we we got um, Chalestino Viete leading that championship by 19 points right now over your boy Agura, who I think is going to come in here with a ton of more confidence again. G Dub. I mean, That's what I'm thinking. He's, he's earmarked to take a, a Honda seat next year, um, which we spoke about last week. Um, but really, it's a championship of, like, who kind of wants it? Because if you look at it, Vietti right now has, I'm not going to say he's been lucky because he's won two Grand Prix at the beginning of the year. But, man, there was opportunities for people to take a ton of points away from him at Coda after he fell. And all the front guys ended up falling as well. Then there was another opportunity at Portugal for all the front runners to take some points away from him there as he was really struggling in 13th or 14th. And it was a good thing he was because of that incident brought down eight riders. So he ends up actually getting second there to Joe, I believe it was. Uh, I mean, I know Joe won, but I can't remember if Viette was second or third. But even he was like, oh, we didn't have the bike for the podium. So, you know, Arbolino, Canet, Joe is fifth now in the points, uh, which obviously is great. Um, Sam Lowe's hasn't finished the last three races. Two of them were not his fault. But I mean, like you look at Augusta Fernandez. He was a front runner last year. We thought he'd be doing a lot better. He's in ninth. They all but don't even talk about Acosta these days. He's 15th. And, you know, really, I mean, great. Nobody really speaks about Acosta anymore, do they? No, it's really weird. And, you know, it's it's so hard sometimes, I think, in Moto2 to focus on on the actual class and the racing itself when you know that this is a stepping stone. You know, it's so easy for us to get caught in the trap of, like, where is Iogura going? Or Augusto Fernandez was was kind of set to go to MotoGP. He seems like he's got all the tools in his toolbox, but wait a second, he's ninth. You know what I mean? And it's like Pedro Acosta is another one. Like if he had a banner year, would he be going? There's so many contracts up. So it's hard to stay focused on this racing, but I agree with you. I think, I think Celestino Vietti has been, he's had some luck. I mean, you know, as well as I do. Got to have that though. You got to have it. You have to, to win a championship. You get unlucky, <laughs> yeah. you lose points. He's, he's really gotten luck on his side. So he's got a 19 point lead, but right now the momentum feels like it's Iogura. Uh, I agree. Rolling forward. I think that Aaron Kinnett has also got some momentum because he put on some ridiculous ride last week and finished second with coming off of that arm surgery or whatever, he, you know, he had. Um, Kinnett, Kinnett, I think, is still the guy. Like, to me, like, it, you, you're reading into it the way I am, too. I mean, the guy ends up second last week, which was pretty incredible. Um, now he's had more time to heal. But he's kind of been consistent, G-Dub, hasn't he? he that, yeah, and that's why he's sitting on those 69 points because – even when disaster struck, he's still putting points in the bank when he can, and he doesn't have to go out and win every race right now. What he needs to do is be healthy, and this time off is really going to help him. And that's the thing. 
he went out and he raced and he got so many points. I mean, he got freaking 20 points when he could have been on the sidelines and made an excuse. That's the 20 points that he's got to play with. I mean, if you look at it and he didn't go race, he'd be sitting at what, 49 points, which would put him like behind Joe Roberts fifth. So it's, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, Kanet's got the, got the strategy. The question is, is Ayogura going to make mistakes? Because even though he was finishing like seventh, eighth, fourth, that type of thing last year, he didn't he didn't make many mistakes. I think Ayogura only didn't finish one race last year, and it was towards yeah. the end of the season. It's so pretty impressive. It's very impressive. So yeah. for Vietti, Vietti's got to like calm down at this point. He's got to like just kind of get in that mode of not win it or bin it, but just make sure you're there towards the end of the race. And these guys have got to find a better setup. It does seem like it's not race pace. Jason, it's not like we say Vietti's fast some places, not fast other places. Arbolino's fast some places. It doesn't feel like that. Yeah. What it feels like is, whoop, they missed the setup. So now yep. they're, P, they're P8 because this class is so close and oh. so competitive. And that's I mean, where class, you have Ogura. Like, mm. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to remember, Kanet was leading at Portugal when he when he was the first rider to the, to the rain. And obviously he went down. Bobier went down. We saw a number of the riders go down. And Vietti kind of came through that pretty clean, ends up finishing second, a place where he did not think he was going to be. If you watched his, his interview in Park Fermi afterwards, he was like, I kind of don't belong here, but we're here, and it is what it is. And so you're 100% right on Kinnett. I mean, the fact that the guy ended up second the week after, you, you, you take the possible 25 points that he gained or that he missed out on, he would have scored 25 to, or 20 points probably at Portugal, um, so I think that, uh, Kinnett's kind of the guy, Agura as well. They're going to be chasing Viette down. Joe has putting together a good season, GW. He's, he's just, he's throwing some consistency stuff together. Right now, he's about 13 points out of third. Arbolino right now is third, who is the teammate of Sam Lowe's. We saw Arbolino win, um, in Texas. So, you know, Arbolino is a, is a race winner. And then I think, you know, we, we got to talk about Cam, um, you know, looking at it where he's at right now, 18th in the championship with just 16 points to his name. There's a couple guys there. I think Jake Dixon and, and Cameron Bobier have both shown signs of being able to run closer to the front. But the inconsistencies and some, some little mistakes or slide-offs or mechanicals are just preventing both these guys from putting a bunch of points together. Yeah, it's that kind of time of the year where they need to just try to settle down and get that pace back. i tell you, the person who... I think kind of has it been answering some questions for me lately is, is Samkat Chantra, who won a race early on in the season, but is only sitting seventh in the point points. And Chantra hasn't made that big step. I mean, that one win that Chantra had before Iogura won, and everybody at the moment was like, oh, there it goes. Iogura is not going to be able to get with Honda and get on that seat. And it's like, man, this is such a long game. And it's such you know, a long season. That's what I'm saying. It's you so know, there's, there's so much to be decided. I understand contracts are up, but are you surprised? Uh, just kind of looking at the overall picture, Jason, that um, we haven't heard more contracts being signed. Like it, it almost, you know, because just a couple of years ago, it was like, what, one race in and this dude's already signed and off a team and this person's moving. But And I thought yeah. we would hear more by May, well, but. you got to think the Suzuki thing is throwing a wrench in every, everything. Oh, yeah. Everything. So when you look at like MotoGP, they were, they were just like pinching guys out of the Moto2 ranks, weren't they, Greg? I mean, like that's where we've got a lot of the Bedzeckis and the Giantonios and Bastianinis and. All these guys came through Moto2, and they were getting hired. Uh, you know, Bender went from Moto3. I mean, Bender right now, Darren I'm talking about, I mean, he, I think, 
if we were if if it was this year and he was riding Moto three, he'd be going to Moto two, no question next year. Um, it's just the way things have worked out. He goes from Moto three to Moto GP. He's got that seat. But Greg, you have to start to think now. Like there is a laundry list of Moto GP riders that are going to be looking for rides. You have to think, right? I mean, you take the two Suzuki riders right off the top. Both those guys are going to be they're going to be on the pecking order first and foremost. And whether it's replacing guys, it seems like Aprilia is pretty consistent right now with Vinales. Like they're willing to give him as much time as he needs. So I don't I don't know if he's going to go anywhere unless he just keeps like getting no results at all. But you've got you so you got Rins and you've got Mir, and then you've got Agura who wants to come up, who looks like he'll take the place of either Nakagami or Marquez, Alex Marquez. So I mean, there are guys that are going to get moved around. There are guys that are going to get, you know, what if Jack Miller was to lose his seat? Um, sounds like he might go back to Pramac and then bring one of those guys from Pramac up. It looks like Zarco is is clean with Pramac right now, like he's going to be there. So it might be like a swap between Miller and Martin. The only guy that we're really hearing about right now outside of MotoGP is Toprak. He's the only guy. And you have to, you know, Dovey's gone. Do, what do they do with Darren Bender? Does Darren Bender move back to Moto2? If, if I mean, I just don't know. Like, it, there's a lot of, and I think that that's why everybody's waiting for certain pieces of the puzzle to fall into place. Greg, if there was, if I had written down yeah, a week I, I ago. Thought, I thought Dovey's on a two-year deal. I thought no, he's, Dovey was. he's gone. I think Dovey, I, like, I'm still wondering if he'll, <laughs> he'll still stay season. in place, you know? Um, well, obviously, with Lynn Jarvis saying, like, hey, if we were going to hire Top Rack, it would be in the satellite team, which which also leads me to believe a couple things. Either Morbidelli's on a two-year, which I didn't think he was because he got injured last year and he was on the factory team and this year. So they might, they might be getting rid of Morbidelli because you don't think Yamaha's looking at Rins or, or Mir at this point? Well, you know, if Morbidelli's on a he is on a two year, and he's one of the seven guys I have written down of guys that I think that you could make arguments potentially could be gone. Greg, and tell me if you disagree with any of these. I got Dovey, I got Darren Bender, Giantonio, Taka Nakagami, Alex Marquez, Maverick Vinales, and Morbidelli are all guys that are that could potentially be on a hot seat. You know? Um, yeah. What's well, not knowing and, exactly and, the and, contract? situation and, but and and don't forget paul that's eight guys paul spargo that's eight guys that potentially could lose their rides now some of them will take the other person's spot but you have to start to think that like you know i think it's going to be a really crazy off season and they we got to see where rins and mir end up before all the other pieces of the puzzle start coming well li- listen if you if you're living under a rock and you don't know what we're talking about by the way is rear Mir and Rins. There was a report that Suzuki is pulling out of MotoGP that the board of directors this week, it's already May 11th, Wednesday. There are a lot of people anticipating who don't know anything about Suzuki, you know, just speculate. They were anticipating, you know, some press release come out Monday. I don't really think the board of directors at Suzuki gives a crap about MotoGP journalists. So I'm not really sure that they were adhering to their deadline necessarily, but we haven't heard anything just yet. I mean, Mm -hmm. the board could reverse a decision, you know, as far as we know. Dorna's ready for a fight. But what we do know is there's 24 slots available in MotoGP. Suzuki's got two of them. So those slots could go up for sale. Like, I expect that there'll be 24 seats available next season. If not, then what you're talking about, Jay, if we go back to 22, which is what we had last year, then, then, you know, the market gets a little bit tighter. 
gets a little mm-hmm. tighter for these riders that are out of jobs. You know, do they go to the Moto 2? Are they going to stick around? Like, what happens? The DG Antonio thing, I mean, do you bail on him already? It's his first year, isn't it? Well, I mean, look, he's done nothing. I mean, he's done zero, right? So, yeah. I don't even know, to be honest with you, DG Antonio never really. I bet Quattro never dominated Moto 2 either. So, I mean, there's probably that. Like, I think, I think myself that Quattro made everybody sit up and go, well, maybe you don't have to dominate Moto2 to do well in MotoGP. And so a couple of the teams were probably looking for that next kid that has shown signs of brilliance in Moto2. I think that the teams in Moto2, there's a lot to be said about certain teams um, compared to others. I, I, you know, It just seems like you get certain guys on certain bikes within a certain team and they're going to go really well. Like You look at the Team Asia team this year, that Oyama's running with Chantra and Agura, they've really stepped up. Like they're they've really done a nice job getting both their riders race wins. Because um, you know you look at that that series right now and you go, well, you got the Mooney um, Racing Team and you've got Mark VDS who's been there, Atal Trans who's been there. Those are like the three main teams, and now you got the Honda Asia Team. So it's like you've got like four really really decent teams, and then you don't really know how the other ones kind of are. Obviously. Um, Kanet's on the Flexbox team. We've seen, you know, he's done obviously a really good job. But I just feel that, man, I, I don't know where some of these guys are going to go. Like, of, of, you know, I just named eight guys. I mean, who would go to World Superbike of those eight? I can't even think. Maybe Nakagami to Honda if something didn't work out there. But I think that both the Honda guys have two-year deals, I think, in World Superbike, I believe. Our boy Steve English would know more about that. But I just think that there's a number of riders here that could that are that are going to be gone. And then we saw also this week that Leopard is super interested um, in jumping up to MotoGP. And who do they do that with? Do they do that with Aprilia? Or how does that work? Um, I, and I think it's crazy. Don't you think it's crazy that Suzuki hasn't come out with anything that has kind of been public and made public to say that they are definitely not going to be back? The fact that it's Suzuki doesn't shock me. They're just not like the racing organization that a Ducati is or a KTM. You you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, I think yeah, that they're yeah. just they're just. I just think that it's just one of many things. I mean, think about it. They have a marine division. They have a car division. They have blah 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 blah. And the board of directors oversees all of it. And this is just one division of theirs. And our world is all wrapped up in it. But I don't think there's any urgency from their perspective to have to do anything. They don't. Right. I can't imagine the board of directors is reading every you know MotoGP website that we go to and and have all these GP journalists on Twitter and have all these people in a big panic about it. They just don't care. They got to run their company. And I've said this before. When it comes to this stuff, there's just one goal, and that is return on shareholder investment. That's all the Suzuki people are really designed to do. When they're on the board of directors, they don't live passionately for a racing series. They're living passionately for return on shareholder investment. So they're going to make the big move. Some people are, have been reaching out to me saying, oh, if it's a $50 million program, where are they going to spend that $50 million? Like They're not. They're going to save that $50 million. Correct. You know, that's that's really the big deal. They're not going to spend it. They're going to save it. Maybe they save $40 million and they take $10 million and distribute it. You know, who knows? Who I do knows? know that some people inside of Suzuki and Suzuki Japan are pretty excited about the prospect of the GSX-R750 and now it being homologated into World Super Sport and uh, Moto America and the potential of that. I mean, if you think about that, Jason, here's a motorcycle that they haven't developed since, what, 2006, maybe? 1996. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? 
So it's a bike they haven't developed any further. And and by literally by Chris Ulrich, by luck, <laughs> you know, making the suggestion and, and getting the whole thing going with the process that they have a motorcycle they haven't developed that has literally become one of the easiest bikes to race in terms of you, 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 you're not allowed to touch the motor. I mean, theoretically, you could run that stock motor all year without ever having to break into it, you know, and, and so it's a motorcycle that's not new. So you have everything available for it from bodywork to foot pegs to suspension components. Everything is 600 has fits right on the 750. And all yeah, but is that is good? Buy... Is that really is that is that really what Suzuki's going to hang their hat on? I mean, that is like that is like holding on by a thread at that point. If you're going to be holding on by a thread over the GSX-R 750 that you haven't done shit to in all these years, which by the yeah. way is probably one of my favorite motorcycles and I know it's one of yours as well. It's a great yep. motorcycle. But Come on, everybody's pushing forward. Everybody's, you know, making, um, you know, everybody's pushing technology, trying to make things better. Um, but the but the thing is, if you look at GP, okay, and you look at Suzuki specifically, they are the the least of the companies. I you know I, the technologies that they develop and use in GP, they don't make it to their street bikes at all. You yeah. know, but you look yeah, right. at right. what KTM's right. doing. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, Ducati, I mean, just just draw the line and look at it and say even yeah. Yamaha and stuff. And, you know, they were the last I think they were the last company to come to the table with an IMU for their thousand. I mean, not till 2017. I mean, Cowie had developed their stuff in World Superbike years before, and they were one of the first ones to come out with great electronics. And so, yeah, anyway, you look at the whole thing and you think to yourself, all right, I know you're passionate about GP people. I know I know, you know, and I know that you think Suzuki's making a big, big mistake. But I mean. We'll see once the press release comes out. Nothing to me is for sure until a press release comes out. It's been all speculation, but we're all rolling forward like this is this deal is a done deal. And who knows? I mean, you know, faced with legal action, maybe the board decides something differently. They stick with the program. I have no idea. Yeah, it's but hard I tell to say. you, I, I guarantee you this, Jason. There's been some people I've seen on social media that are like, "Well, then Suzuki should sell their bikes, and the next team gets it." No, if if the factory's not behind it. That bike within six months, with definitely within eighteen months, is completely irrelevant. I mean, people, yep. the factory teams have developed. It's not like you're going to pick up motorcycles and go racing if you don't Correct. have the factory behind it and the resources and the ability to make stuff for that bike. Who cares? Yeah, it's not like it's not like you can go, you know, buy a superbike somewhere and you know roll over into Stamboli, buy a superbike and go run it. It's not like that, and it's. You know, the whole thing is kind of weird. I, you know, Greg, let me ask you a question. Money aside, if you were Let's say that you're Juan Mir right now. Would you, would you, what seat would you be going after the most? Like, as far as what you have seen, like, if you look at like a Honda, you look at an Aprilia, I don't think he's going to get into the Ducati family. I think they're going to be kind of hiring within. Like, if you're Juan Mir right now, would you, would you take the Honda or would you take the Aprilia? What, I mean, like, what, what, what's your feels? And I know it's money. I, we're taking money off the table. I'm saying like, like yeah. Just you... if you're looking at yourself, saying what gives what motorcycle out there gives me the best opportunity to win again? Yep. I would probably say, I, I don't know his relationship with Aleish, but I would say Aprilia is probably the best move right now. I think it's it's a well balanced motorcycle. It's it's as close to the Suzuki in terms of handling. It obviously can be very easy on a front tire, which we're going to talk about in a in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um. But I would say that unless Yamaha came to me with 
you know, plans of the new engine of, of proof that the engine's putting out X amount of horsepower. They had a plan. Yep. I think Ducati's an obvious choice. I, 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 I don't think he's going to get that, that option though. I don't think so. But I also think I wouldn't want to, as a rider, get lost in the wash. Who's the, who's the A rider? Who's the B rider? Who's the C, the D, the E, the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's one of those things where I think if you want to be top dog, you go fight against Alicia Spargo and you go there because I don't think anything else makes sense right now. I certainly wouldn't want to be on the Honda. I couldn't no agree chance. with you more. I don't know why you'd want to go to Honda. I'd let somebody else go there. I think that you're 100% right. I would take the Aprilia also. When you look at the Yamaha and the idea, and I don't think, you know, I don't think that there's any, I mean, I Morbidelli staying or, you know, I think he's in the middle of a two-year deal, factory deal. But he's gone to the factory team and not done anything. I know he had a surgery, but he's had enough races now to show something. I really like Morbidelli. I mean, it was just a what two years ago he finished second in the championship to Mir. So the guy, obviously, he, you know, he we've seen him be able to do stuff, and but he's not done anything. But I'm with you in the sense that let's just say there was an opportunity for Morbidelli to be moved, or maybe put Morbidelli back on the satellite team and take Dovey's spot. Then, then, but then again, are they? <laughs> they've made more of an announcement that they want top rack. So it's. But the team's sponsored by Monster, so I just don't but see Jay, but Jason, how that what's funny is it, it wasn't even a year ago, not even close to being a year ago, where Joe Roberts had an opportunity to go to Aprilia, and he turned it down, and we all said, good job, because we didn't think the Aprilia was yeah. shit. Yeah, but but that's that was a smart decision then, because the Aprilia was shit, in the sense that, that it had done nothing to tell us otherwise. It, it had done nothing to show us that it's done great things the only bike in the paddock that you see people being able to jump on and do well as far as one or two or three riders is ducati yeah. yamaha has quattro and then who else nobody honda has mark marquez and then who else nobody so and then legitimately the suzuki, that's the problem this is both those guys can ride it they've both been those doing guys can show and up they're and gone guys can uh. and they're gone right so <laughs> so the ktm on any given weekend it's either bender or Oliveira. um you know, and again, there's there's two more seats. I mean, I think Remy Gardner will stay. I Raul Fernandez doesn't want to be where he's at, but man, where do you put him? Like, are they going to let him out of his out of? I think he's only got a one year deal right now with KTM, probably with an option. But again, it's like, do you want to? You don't to, give like, you don't give up on Raul Fernandez though. I don't think. Well, I you know who knows? Just the stuff I've read about him, he seems a bit complex and maybe not the happiest kid in the world to be where he's at. Oh, so okay, it's hard it's hard to say. So I think that. MotoGP right now is it is literally for some of these guys, it's it is like how good did you do the last race? Because that's really could it could potentially determine your future. You know, Mir and Rins are the two guys that probably everybody wants more than anybody anything. I don't know which one of those two I would choose over the other, just based off of Mir and his consistency. You got to take him, and then there's weekends where Rins is just an amazing. But then he finishes 19th one weekend, and you go like, what is that? Like, I mean, there's no reason for a factory MotoGP rider to be finishing 19th at all. Has MotoGP become, like, the one thing that motorsports has always needed is superstars. Take the helmet off. I don't care if it's NASCAR or Formula One. MotoGP makes no difference. Supercross. Take the helmet off a rider. Get people connected with that human being. Yep. It seems like right now, across all classes, that MotoGP is so competitive that in one weekend, it builds heroes, and then two weekends later, if you don't get that same result, you're absolutely nothing. I mean, it you're is done. 
yeah. so fast how we've forgotten these front runners. I mean, we're talking about Morbidelli being out of a contract who finished second in the points last year after getting hurt or, or two years ago, who is a great personality, seems like a super duper dude. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like blah. And look what we were doing, not us necessarily, but the press around Bagnaya. The guy was an afterthought two weeks ago until he wins a race. Then all of a sudden he's back. He, you know, and you're like, it's so reactive. Like no it, one gives 100%. any time for things to breathe. And I think part of the problem is because we have so many people up front. We have so many people that can show up and get on the podium now. Yeah. Who do you focus on? And and we're losing focus. But I mean, you, you look at a guy like DG Antonio and you think, man, if you actually look at the times he's done and how many seconds behind he's finished i'm willing to bet if you go back and look five years ago that the guy finishes in a lot different position than he finishes now with the amount of lap times and the time he's done behind the leader and that guy is like <laughs> off the map i mean nobody's even yeah. thinking about that guy other than his team you know, yeah. especially being overshadowed by his teammates so it's a very interesting interesting bit um but we're looking forward to it I, another thing i want to comment on that that I I just kind of thought was really funny. Did you watch any of the social media stuff from Formula One over the weekend in Miami? I didn't. I can't. I just can't stomach it, dude. It just bores the shit out of me, dude. It, the the best thing to me is watching people unload on Twitter about how celebrities don't deserve to be at a Formula One race because they're not hardcore Formula One fans. Oh, God. Like that, we've done that in MotoGP too. Like this person doesn't know anything about Formula One. Why they're a scumbag? And I just laugh because the elitist attitude in motorsports about I've been a fan for longer than you have that that actually holds some type of meaning in the world cracks me up to no end, no end. <laughs> and let me tell you something, man. When you're when you're doing a grid walk as someone who is a pit reporter for a lot of years and you're doing a grid walk and you have to include things outside of your comfort zone like celebrities. I mean, dude, you know, you you have somebody yelling in your ear, "Hey, there's Patrick Mahomes. Go get Patrick Mahomes." And you walk up and it's not even Patrick Mahomes and you're going, "Patrick, Patrick." And you know, yeah. It's a it's a <laughs> tough gig, man. And you're Brundle, dealing with Brundle now, does a good job with that though. Martin Brundle's, Brundle's the best. He, well, he's become kind of a I don't know, kind of a, a hero in a way because he, th did you see, I did see the one, I think he posted it where it was, so, I don't even know who the guy was, some social media guy, like yeah. some social media influencer. Like, like Martin and, Brundle at his age is supposed to know some social media guy. And he Come didn't on. know who the guy was and the guy was such a dick about it and Brundle, Brundle just like walks away and goes, well, that went well. Like just underneath <laughs> his breath in the microphone, I thought that's so great. Did I you see the old so interview he did with Ozzy when Ozzy was like in his? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> did you see that? Ozzy, no. So Brundle asked him a question. I can't remember what it was. Like Sharon, hey, talk to Sharon. She says something's coming, and Ozzy just answers some question, and Brundle goes, "All right, well, while I think about a question for that answer, uh, how are the dogs?" <laughs> <laughs> it was the bed. Ozzy goes, "Oh, they're on the bed taking a shit," you know, and then uh. Brundle just walked away. It was really. Like he handles it well. It's a tough situation when you're in the number one motorsport in the world, and you're asking some dude, "Hey, man, just go walk around and talk to people," and you got to go grab, you know, these people or celebrities. I get it. It's a for anybody to shit on him, you you suck because it's a it's a difficult job, and I and it's he handles it in such a great way, and he's entertaining. And his tweet about it was like, "Hey, I don't like doing these things, and I've done them for a decade. 
or whatever it's been. And he's like, it sucks that it defines my career, but it is what it is. And yeah, I but he's kind of become so good at it. And people, like the only reason I even watch the grid walks is just to see how his reaction. I I just can't get into it, G-Dub. I, I literally tried to watch F1 and there was six laps to go. And they lost me when they're like, oh, we could see a second pass for the lead. And I'm like, really? These guys are excited about two passes for the lead that never happened by the, never happened, by the tweet, way. Uh, there was a tweet that went out and someone said, I think it was F1. And they're like, Who, whoever's leading the championship. It's um, the, I don't even Ferrari, know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, it's uh, Leclerc, 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 and Leclerc. Leclerc. Is it Leclerc? In the and, he's in the Ferrari. I think he was running second trying to catch for Yeah, he's in the Ferrari. And then... Verstappen. So those two guys, right? And the tweet literally said, in the last five races, we have had 10 passes and it's all been clean. And they were patting themselves on the back. And I'm like, really? Watch a Moto3 race. That's about uh, six corners to the oh checkered God. flag. Pretty much, you know, just, 10 passes for the lead. What, what are you kidding me? What like, defines a race what, fan? That's what I'm saying. That's you what I'm I mean? saying. What I defines like racing. a race fan? Like, you know, yeah. when people pass each other and I don't really care necessarily if it's for first. If... If people are making moves where it puts a it puts like that, that yeah. But Greg, nobody's stomach, looking right? back where you were in twentieth to see if there's a good race going on back there. Hmm. Is twentieth being nice? Hmm. That's just outside the points, isn't it? Oh, now you've got sound effects. This is great. Yeah, now you got sound effects. Yes. No, but I agree with you, G-Dub. Like when you got oh, this deal what? where there's people. <laughs> When you got this deal, like people are, it's not even racing. You take these guys to a MotoGP race, and it's like, whoa, these guys are actually racing. And we have personalities yeah. in MotoGP and this stuff. But I, dude, I can't do the F1 thing. I can't. I no, just, I, it, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan either. I, I, I just try to keep, I keep, I, I try to keep it in the background just so I'm a little bit knowledgeable about what's going on. It doesn't light my fire, and I understand it. It has, but the biggest surge, obviously, in the U.S. has been that Netflix series. And this yeah, is what I'm talking no, about. When you yeah. take the helmet yeah. off the racer and you connect human beings with human beings, this is what you get. And Correct. I, I don't want to I don't want to crush. I mean, I'm happy for Formula One. You know, they they when Bernie Ecclestone finally sold them and this new group picked it up. I don't even remember what year it was. 2016. Their numbers are through the roof. The growth is through the roof. They did this Netflix deal. You know, the two top teams were like, eh, we're not participating, you know, Mercedes and, and Ferrari and stuff. And then now everybody wants to jump on. And look, hey. If you're a celebrity and you want to go have some fun, you know, I mean, Matt Damon was there. The guy was in a freaking great car movie. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah. It's like, you know, maybe he does. He doesn't. You don't have to be a hardcore fan to enjoy the sport. If that was the case, we would always be in a niche sport with no fan attendance because Correct. even Formula One doesn't have as many hardcore fans as people think there are. But the, what I was commenting on was the elitist attitude about these pe these fans that think they're hardcore because, you know, they don't actually go to a race. But they'll they'll watch and read websites and watch it on Twitter and think I know exactly what's going on and I just right. kind of giggle about it. Anyway, no, I'm that's just the comment I wanted to make. MotoGP's coming up this weekend. Moto three is going to be another freaking crazy fest. If it rains, forget about it. It's going to be awesome. But Jay, let's go ahead and transition over to uh, Supercross because we're done and dusted with the season. It is over. All right, and yeah. in in Supercross, uh, we had. <laughs> We had an interesting race, to say the least. Bam Bam is still Bam Bam, but Salt Lake City, last one of the year. Jason Anderson wins over Chase Sexton. That's right. Am I reading this right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he won. Over, Fourth, four in a row, yeah. seven for the season. 
Unbelievable. Over Justin Barsha and Malcolm Stewart. That was actually the provisional results. Okay, I'm giving you provisional results. Barsha beat Malcolm Stewart by two seconds. Marvin Muskan, Cooper Webb, Justin Brayton, and so on. Official results look like this. Jason Anderson, Chase Sexton, Justin still, Barsha. It's they still, still there. gave it to Barsha. They, right. they, what they did, Greg, is they penalized him points and right. fined which, him which is, a whopping which is, three grand. And that's the reason why I wanted to do that. In the end, of course, yeah. Joe Mack, who wasn't there, wins by nine points over Jason Anderson. Jay, uh, Pridmore, you could dip into nine-point well of how many times Anderson and Malcolm got together. But Malcolm just seems to be a bit of a, a magnet right now for people running into him, unfortunately. But Malcolm Stewart ends up third in this championship, just behind Jason Anderson. So 359 for Eli Tomac, who missed the last round of the year. Jason Anderson at 350. Malcolm goes at 314. With Muskan actually in fourth place because Justin Barsha got penalized, Barsha in fifth. And although many people might think to themselves, what's the big whoop? What the big whoop is, they normally get fifth place bonuses. So third place or fourth or fifth, that's it's definitely money out of Barsha's pocket. Not a ton, I think, in the big scheme of things, but enough. So Jason, Jason, I don't Anderson think it's wins. I don't think it's enough. You don't think it's enough to, to get no. These guys down. get twenty five grand for finishing third, right? So they give him his twenty five grand. He deducts three grand from his thing, and he probably had a championship bonus for finishing third. But that didn't matter because he wasn't going to do it anyways. But I want to talk about Jason Anderson real quick, and I'm going to tell you what I feel about. And I'm not a Supercross guy. Like I don't know shit about this stuff other than what you do, and we watch and we read and we see things. But I listen to the Pulp Show. I like the Pulp Show. I, you know, our boy Wygant's on there with Mathis and stuff, but. Here's the difference. You look at Jason Anderson, and I think that something clicked with him, and he even came out and said it about six rounds ago, seven rounds ago, that he cost himself the championship. He's obviously got the pace to win, but you don't need to make contact with every rider that you go by because when you make contact with a rider, you run the risk of going down just as much as they do, and that happened to Jason Anderson this year. And him and Mookie did get together a couple times, Daytona being one of the spots. And those are those are valuable points to the guy like Tomac, and you can sit there and you look at Tomac this year, if I said, Greg, how many people did you see Tomac take out this year? How many did you see? Mm, nobody. I didn't see any myself. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. The thing is, is that, is that you look at that and you go to yourself, well, if he's not taking guys out and winning the championship, and you've got two guys that are arguably very, very fast in Barsha and Anderson. Anderson, to me, is still obviously better than Barsha. But Barsha literally cannot pass anybody without running into him if he gets past he's teeing him up and there are some strong arguments of what happened this weekend and i know you probably haven't listened to the pulp show yet but like for me did you did you get to actually watch the race g-dub or did you just see some of the i highlights? did i watched it i didn't hear any commentary but i watched it yeah if you hear what cian cirillo said he said the problem with that pass is it's like a head-on collision like there is no Barsha goes into these press conferences and bitches to all these guys that ask him questions about his aggressiveness. And he's like, why is this even a story? This is nothing. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Acting as if he is not that guy. Then he gets up on the podium after this race and basically says, it's who I've been since day one. So all these guys are kind of saying like, 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 who are you? Like, what is this? The fact that they only find him three grand, I think they should have disqualified him myself. They should have just black flagged him. He beelined it from, and you know me, G-Dub, I am all about, I don't mind a little rubbing. Don't mind a little rubbing and racing. Yeah, rubbing's racing, baby. Don't mind it. Don't mind it at all. But there does come a point where if he passes Mookie 
if he passes him, it's still not enough for him to finish third in the championship. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to lay the guy out to have him either bite, have problem with the bike um, or have him on the ground for long enough where he could get people between him and, and Malcolm to win, to, to get third in the championship. The message, <clears throat> the message that they've sent to him, I mean, he's like third-time offender this year. They've had him on probation. All he got, Greg, was he wasn't finishing third anyways. He ends up getting docked some points that puts him to fifth, which isn't any consequence because top three is where he needed to be to probably get his bonuses. They find him three grand. So he still made still made 22 grand on the day and essentially could have either hurt Malcolm. You know, he gets up there and says, I'm racing for money and I'm, you know, so is, so is everybody else. Everybody else is racing for money. But people's personal health doesn't seem to really be an effect to him. Now, the one thing I will say is that you get guys like Barsha. Sorry, I'm on a rant. Am I on a rant right now? No, you're doing great. You get, all right. You get guys like Barsha who do stupid shit, right? And then when they get called out on it, they put their hands up like, oh, what do you mean? Like, I'm just, you know. And it's like, he didn't really own what he did. He just got up there and listened to the crowd boo him. And he was just kind of saying, well, this is who I am. And I'm trying to race for a living. Listen, your living is fine. Everybody knows you're racing for a living. But there does come a point where other people's health and people's people matter. Like, you can't just go running and cleaning out a guy and just... You know, and if you watch Malcolm's pass, it was so clean and so pure and so good, and he more or less T-boned him head-on, collisioned Malcolm after that. So, what I would love to see, this is the, this is the old Jason. I'd love to see somebody just punch him right in the face. That's for me. It's like everyone's all, oh, violence doesn't get you anywhere. Well, maybe that'll get him to stop because they're not doing enough to make this guy stop what he's doing. And if somebody just comes up and punches him right in the mouth, that'll get his attention. It will get his attention. Tip of the cap to Malcolm Stewart, the way he handled it. And the crowd has responded to it. Yep. It, was a great, it was amazing great listening to the crowd. Yeah, great shot of him. He doesn't deserve it. Malcolm had a great year. Could have great had an year. even better year. That's the uh, thing. Yeah. Could, could he have beat Jason Anderson in the points? No, because Jason was able to rack up so many wins. So Malcolm, I think, ends up where he belonged in the points for how he rode. I think that he rode third best in this championship. I think that mm -hmm. that's legit. Could he have had more points at the end of the year? Yes, he definitely could have accumulated more points. But the one thing we do know is that when people keep knocking him on the ground, it doesn't give him an opportunity to finish higher than where he was. So Correct. I just, I just think that... To, looking forward to seeing how Malcolm does from this point forward because I think Malcolm has made a step in his riding and I think he's really close to being a, a consistent front, front runner and he's ready to win. If you're Kawasaki and you're Rockstar... Energy Husqvarna team, the swap that was made this year is was awesome. Like they loved getting Malcolm. First off, Malcolm just seems like a good dude, man. I, I don't know him. I don't know if you ever knew him from when you did some announcing, if it, or if it was just a little bit before he got there. I played. I played Call of Duty with him this year. Oh, you have. Okay, great. Well, he just seems like a good dude. He's got a. You know, he gets up on the podium. He's always smiling. Always seems stoked. And then on the flip side of it, I think next year you're going to see a different Jason Anderson. Jason Anderson doesn't need proof anymore that he can win races. He can win as many races as he needs. And he has got to stay off the ground. That's the biggest thing. And if you look back at the races where he was on the ground, either getting taken out or doing some of the taken out himself, you know, he made a comment, like I said, six or seven races ago where he put his hand up and says, you know what? I just got to stop racing like that. I can't keep finding myself on the ground and just handing points over 
to to Tomac uh, or to anybody at that stage. There are going to be days where you're going to take your thirds and your fourths. If you remember the beginning of the year, Tomac on that new team, he's finishing sixth and fifth, and we're kind of like, oh, you know, I wonder. And then he went on a win streak. But when he was on the win streaks, Anderson was on the ground. The reason why you'll never see Barca win a championship is because he cannot just pass somebody clean. And boy, Greg, racing like that 10, 20, 30 years ago would have got you beat up by now. It would have. The, the thing about Anderson is is that he made the statement, and so far he, he's proven, us, proven to us that he is walking the walk. The problem is the last couple of races, he didn't really have Tomac pushing him and, and, and t- testing his mental, which may prove in the long run to be the best thing for Jason Anderson because it's not easy to get rid of a habit. But mm-hmm. if you practice it and you're able to do it, the fact that Tomac's knee was tweaked, where Atlanta, I think, Jason, his um, was it his left knee on the ACL side of things? So Tomac obviously didn't rate this, race this one. But I agree with you. What I've seen from Jason Anderson is that he has definitely made a step in his mental game approaching this thing because he's had the skills. Obviously, he's he's a champion in his own right in Supercross. But the question becomes, can you do it with the best now? And mm-hmm. I think it's been a great swap all the way around. From great swap. The Kawasaki team to the Yamaha team to that Husqvarna team. I think it's been a really good season. And getting into our Pulp MX Fantasy, JP, we have to give it up to Hucklebuck Racing. Congratulations, Hucklebuck Racing. You won yourself a brand new Arai helmet. Get a hold of me. We'll get you the information you need. 4,132 points. Wow. So the average, the average, 243 points. Wow. What a run. Best That's of really 310. Good. Worst of 192. A tip of the cap to PM140, who finishes at 4,095 points. So not too, too far off. You know, somewhere in the 50-point 50, 50 range at 132, or really 30-point range. Rotten in the mix at 4,074. Rotten's highest of the year, Jason, three hundred and thirty-one in one round. Jeez. I mean, I would have been, I would have been dancing. I mean, we do have somebody on page one here, uh, Moto Guy Thirty, who's down in nineteenth place, had a points haul one weekend of three hundred and forty points. Wow, three hundred forty-five for not so my fifty-one, <laughs> right? Like, I can't even imagine getting a points like that. All right, so where did where did you finish up, JP? Let, let's I don't take even a look know. At, I think I was at, top thirty at our side pool. So Skip, Uncle Skip gets top 10, and yep. that's a shame because Uncle Skip choked on the last one. He had, what was his excuse? I can't remember. I can't um, remember. Beat JP 43. Nicely done. Yeah, took care of me. Yeah, bummer. Mm-hmm. I'm coming back, though. We'll, we'll come back at the next one. Mass hole in 21st, a notable. All right, our boy Chuck Axlin. How did somebody steal that name before you, by the way? Mass hole? Yeah. I thought I was born with that. I actually have a... Did I ever tell you about the t-shirt? I have a t-shirt that says Mass Hole, <laughs> and it's all in Boston Red Sox font. Absolutely <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? It's that blue. Yeah. Our You're boy, we are Jason. pulling for your Jeff Bruins Wheel. right now, aren't you? Go bees. <sighs> yeah, especially because I live like 25 minutes or something, 20 minutes from where the Carolina Hurricanes play, and the bees were in town. Uh, what? No, they were in Boston last night, weren't they? No, they were here, and they're headed to Boston. But anyway, I'm looking down this list. I can't, I end up 76, JP. 76. Oh, okay. I, had, I got you handled. I was I, I beat Chuck. I killed it in RM Fantasy, though. I won both the leagues that I was in in that. Oh, we need to go look at that for all the Patreon supporters, yeah, huh? Absolutely. RM Fantasy. 
Because uh, our boy uh, Jonathan Ray, where did he end up finishing? So hold on, I got on a different. I haven't, I haven't actually looked, and I need to. I did you see why? Why you're looking that up? Why you're looking that up? Did you see what Johnny posted yesterday on Twitter by chance, where he talks yeah, about about, the North, about him the wanting Northwest to ride 200? up to the 200? Oh my yeah. God, so classic. So Johnny Ray posted the post saying like, "Hey, I'm thinking about riding up to the Northwest 200 this weekend. Anybody want to join me?" Well. He got 980 comments or something, and he's just put out something this morning, had me laughing, where he's talking about, like, kind of the authorities are a little bit worried about having however many bikes that Johnny would be tailing behind him up, riding up to the Northwest. So he's basically said, I'm probably going to ride up, so if you see me on the road, give me a thumbs up or a wave, or if the... Or if the weather's crap, it sounds like it could be. He's like, uh, if it's if the weather's shit, basically I'm gonna be driving up. So give me a thumbs up in the car or whatever. I thought it was hilarious. It's totally that's funny. But doesn't it kind of tell you? Kind of tells me something about Johnny. Like he wasn't. He was like, what was he thinking, G Dub? Was he thinking it was gonna be like you're right across America, where you might just get one or two guys that when you're driving through their region are gonna go, hey, it's G Dub. Let's ride a hundred miles with him. And it's like Johnny probably has some pull in that area specifically <laughs> yeah i would think so you know the great part well, hey listen John- he learned his lesson but that but that's johnny though isn't it i mean he's totally a down-to-earth kind of guy so and he doesn't he think he doesn't think i'm a huge celebrity you know like i totally get that that it would be him all right we got something that we need to address <laughs> though jason because since you won the greg's garage pod i get the thing, signed hat don't i no no you still have to bring a hat over and get it signed so what's your choice but who, won, you who to- won the league you won the league, stupid. I'm bringing a hat back to myself then. There you go. No, you're not getting a sign. No. Come on. You're not getting a sign. Absolutely. First of all, you're not even sponsored by it. You're not even supported by Arai. What helmet What helmet do you choose? I'm an AGV, but hey, Arai's yeah. a supporter of the podcast. You'll never wear the hat is my point, all right? Could go on my so the, here, So here's the question. Do you <laughs> want to pick someone randomly out of the 25 that we've had total in the league, or do you want it to go to the person who finished behind you by the way, you you checked out, dude. Nine hundred fifty-two points, and the next one in line is Justin YZFR six with eight hundred seventy-eight points. Now, keep in mind these are Patreon supporters. You got to give it to Justin. All right, Justin, congratulations. Jason Pridmore will get his fat ass on an airplane to Europe with an Arai hat in his hand, as camo Arai hat that you can see online. He's going to get it signed by our guy Jonathan Ray. And he's going to bring it back to the U.S. And you're either going to come see us somewhere, Justin, or we'll mail it to you. It's your choice. So get a hold of me. Get a hold of JP. Get a hold of me on Instagram is a good good thing. I think I figured out how to do it. Congratulations though, to everybody who participated in our in our podcast. It was absolutely awesome. I ended up finishing you 21st suck. out of twenty twenty first out of twenty five. It was pretty miserable. Two behind. Moto America Chuck, but Jonathan Ray finishes just outside the top 10, right behind Viking 43. Oh my God. She beat him. She beat him. Wow. She beat him. So Johnny Ray ends up P11. Jonathan, thank you so much for participating. Yeah. In our our fantasy, maybe next year we'll get Johnny to do it again, and maybe this time it'll be for a I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to get a ride. No pull. When I say I'm trying to get a ride, I talked to a guy and I said, hey. That replica helmet, the one where he was on the old ZX7 colors, mm-hmm. like I want a, re- a helmet like that. And they were like, uh-huh. Yeah, you and the rest of the world. <laughs> that would be a hot, dude, that would be a hot seller. That would Can be a wicked imagine? hot seller. That would yeah. be a hot seller. That would be. It would be great. All right. yeah. what, 
So what do we have going on next weekend? So oh. this weekend, you're golfing? What, what's up? Dude, I'm I, still... I have a local... So I got an MRI. I got my MRI back. I had... I basically had four fractures in my... Right below small. my my wrist. Oh. I got a small fracture in my wrist, and then I had a fracture in my hand. I got two broken fingers. They're all healing. I rode on Monday with Let's Ride Track Days at uh, Button Willow, which was great. And... But... It's weird because, again, G-Dub, as has been some of the cases in my life, it's easier for me to ride than it is to walk or, you know, golf or any of that shit. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm supposed to try to qualify for the U.S. Senior Open this Monday, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm trying. I hit hit a few balls yesterday. But I'm, I'm, look, what I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to MotoGP this weekend. And and, um, it's, you know, I get fired up for MotoGP now. Look, people, if you read Matt Oxley's article about this whole front tire issue and tire pressures and all that kind of stuff, it's good information. It's not a topic we're going to cover because the reality is, is that not all the tire pressure sensors and temperature sensors are made by the same company. We have no idea how to verify the data. I mean, I, you know, Matt seems like a good journalist and all that stuff, but there is this whole thing about tire pressure and gentlemen's agreement and all this kind of weird stuff. We're going to let it settle out for a little while before we make comments on it because just like ESPN <laughs> jumped off the ledge with the whole Tom Brady, okay, deflategate uh, BS, and it turns out that it's one football and it turns out that no one understands, every motorcycle enthusiast out there understands that if you fill your tire at 72 degrees and then you leave your tire out at in 44 degrees or whatever it was, the game 43 <laughs> degrees at game time, that your tire pressure decreases. All right, so I don't even want to get into this topic. All I know is, if you've heard about the article, we're not really going to comment on it because we've, we're hearing multiple sides of it. Gigi Delinas come out and said, look, it was a different brand of company. There's no scientific data that says all these things are reading equally. I get all that. So there are, there are arguments on both sides until MotoGP steps up and says... We are going to hold you guys accountable for tire pressure. We have the data. Everybody has to run the exact same sensor. They're all going to be zeroed. We're all going to, it's all going to be accurate and blah, 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 blah. It's all just conjecture at this point because we don't really know. Is that fair yeah. to say, JP? I think it's pretty fair to say. It's pretty bold by Oxley coming out. It's going to be interesting to see how many garage doors close on him when he goes to this week's Grand Prix at uh, Le Mans. It's one of the, you know, some, some journalists don't like going to that race. And I know he's he does because he's he's covered some of the and I really respect I respect him a lot. He's, he does so really for, good work. He does oh his research. God. Like he gets Big his time. data. Yes. you know what I mean. Like a hundred percent. And I'm not saying that. And there's no holes in his article. That's not what I'm saying either. Where there are is is in people's defense of especially Ducati's defense of the article. So it's it we're now getting to the sport where everything's getting micromanaged, including tire pressure and how the front tire works and heat. And I can't draft because my front tire goes up and. You know, these yep. are the sign of the times that we're getting into. So we're going to let this kind of play out a little bit more just as much as we're going to get. Let, let this whole Suzuki situation play out and have to, sit on have the fence to see. and watch what happens. Yeah, you have to see it. I mean, I guess you got to kind of see how it all plays out. Maybe after this weekend, we'll know even more. We can make some comments on it, you know, next week. So, um, I mean, you know, Greg, next week's show, we've got obviously the Grand Prix this week at Le Mans. And then we got Moto America coming up. we got our, our second and round. Superbike. Third round of Superbike, obviously. We got World Superbike. Uh, World Superbike, same weekend as us, right? They're in Correct. Estoril. They're in Estoril. Yes. Yep. 
Ernesto. So we'll have that. We'll we'll preview all that stuff as well, and and uh, you know we'll see. Maybe we'll get Steve on here or something like that as some comments or who knows. Yeah. I mean, we can do we can do a good job too. But thanks for hanging with us on a non-race weekend other than Formula One in Miami. And if you're expecting this to be a Formula One podcast, I hope your heart is broken because we don't care. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone. <laughs> take care. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the racing. And we'll be back next week for uh, to cover this, uh, this, this week's Grand Prix.